Today, um, we are coming to the last of our four-part series um, talking about achieving financial freedom, about the fact that God doesn't want us to live in bondage with finances. Not, it's not about getting rich. We haven't talked about getting rich at all. Matter of fact, I personally believe um, God would not want to make a lot of us rich, a number of us, because it could, it could uh, um, hinder your spiritual growth. Now, I'm all for people having lots of resources as long as it doesn't own them and they give it to the glory of God. So I would pray this for every person who, who God could entrust with it. He'd give you piles of money. But I'd also hope that for anybody that would derail their faith, he wouldn't do it at all. And so we've not been talking about getting rich. We've been talking about achieving financial freedom, not letting stuff own us instead of recognizing the very clear biblical talk of principles about finances in the Bible. And I love preaching about this topic um, because it's one of the topics when I preach about that I get more practical response and feedback from anybody, from, than any other topic I talk about. Um, multiple people have approached me in these four weeks, and we've spread out the four weeks because we had some special events in the middle, but these four, these four messages, and actually told me that they changed their spending habits or made decisions to not do certain things or to do certain things based on the biblical principles we've been talking about. Well, friends, that's the, that's the only reason I spend time trying to prepare messages. It's not just to ever entertain. It's to try to help us grow and mature and align ourselves up with God's plan for our lives. So I'm so glad that you've been able to use some of these principles so far in your life. And so, so far what we've covered, and you can always, if you've missed these, you can go on our website, go to our podcasts, and every one of our messages is on our podcasts. Just click on listen now and you can hear them. And so, so far, the first week we talked about work, W-O-R-K, and found out that work, although it has four letters, is not a four-letter word. It's not a cuss word, that God designed us to work. It's a gift to us, that it's to, it's to give us fulfillment in life, help us to mature and grow in life, and it's provide for us and our families, that work is a great thing. We looked the second week at stewardship, what, what it means to be a steward. It's the biblical view of finance, that God has entrusted humanity with gifts and treasures and abilities, and that those things we then use for his glory and his honor. And as we do those for his glory and his honor, he then takes care of us as his children. We looked at something that we called the, the stewardship plan, called the 101080 plan. And uh, a lot of you said, man, I want to I I align my life with that. And the last time we talked, we talked about uh, a four-letter word that is a four-letter word, debt. And I told you I want you to look at debt as a monster. That there could be some possible, possible, positive reasons for debt, um, something that will appreciate in value, or maybe starting a business or something like that, or maybe, limitedly, even college, um, because college is really expensive and it's going to earn you more money in the future. But that I talked a lot about warning you about that. We have a whole culture right now. It's in terrible financial problems. People in the last 15 years who went crazy with school debt. And right now we have more school debt in America than we had debt in the subprime housing debacle that torpedoed our economy. 2009 was all because way too many people borrowed way too much money on houses they couldn't afford. And our economy about tanked and crashed, and that was tied to that debt. Well, the money we owe on school loans in America right now is greater than that. And the thing about a student loan is it's the only loan you can't default on. The government's illegal to default on it. And so it's, it's inhibiting and hindering Christian people's lives greatly. They can't do what God wants them to do because they're chained by debt. So if you want more about that, listen to that message. Well, today we're going to look at something a little bit different. 
we're going to look at um, what our giving reveals about our spiritual lives. You go, ah, oh, there's, there's no connection. Giving, um, spiritual lives, two separate things. Well, we found in the last three weeks that's absolutely not true. That's, that giving is incredibly spiritual topic. Jesus and the rest of the Bible deals with giving constantly and money constantly. And we're going to look at today what does giving, how we give, how we use our resources, how, what's that reveal about our spiritual development? You see, Jesus shows something really amazing in the Scripture, something that a lot of times we wish wasn't there because it's so easy to look at and make some conclusions. Jesus shows us that money and the use of money is a great revealer of our spiritual development and where our heart is with him and our trust level is with him. And if Jesus wanted to see where someone's heart was at in their, in their development and their connection to him, what he talks about in Scripture is he'd look at how they use their money. And he'd say, I can tell where your heart is at by looking at this, that the, how you use your money reveals what's going on inside of your heart, that our attachment to and our use of money reveals a lot about where we really are at spiritually. There's a verse that we've been looking at through these services, these sermons, that's been kind of a common theme. And it's found in Matthew 6.21, and that's what Jesus is dealing with. And you should be knowing it by now. short little verse says this, Where your money is, your heart will be also. That wherever our money goes, it draws our heart towards it. And one day Jesus gave an incredible example about this um, when he was just walking and ministering. Um, he was going down the road, and the scriptures tell that a young man, we call him the rich young ruler, um, came and approached him and said, Lord, um, I have served, you know, served God from my youth, and what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, uh, well, what's the, what's the law say? He says, well, the law says don't, don't steal, don't murder, don't kill. And, and uh, the guy goes, hey, I've done all of that since I was a little kid. And Jesus says, well, you know what? You lack one thing to get into your life. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And the man, you remember what it said about the man in the Bible? And I, I imagine, it doesn't say this, but I imagine he looked like this. He hung his head and he walked away. It does say he walked away. He left Jesus. Jesus was trying to show something. He's showing something that your, your attachment to money reveals something. What he said about the rich young ruler is, what he's trying to show us this, this um, teaching is, that this young ruler was saying, I say I want to serve you, but I don't want to serve you more than I want my money. And so if it's going to cost me anything, it's going to cost me my money, I'm going to choose to not follow you. Jesus was making this point. He said, listen, where you're, that, that I can tell where you're at spiritually by how you use your money. Now, interestingly, God doesn't tell everybody to sell all they have and follow him. It's not a principle. The reason he did that for that man is Jesus is, he's God, and he knew the heart of that man, and he knew he could reveal to that man that his heart really wasn't really all in for walking with God. So he said, well, I'll reveal to you where you're really at. Um, sell everything, because I know you won't do it. And so, and Jesus, you know what Jesus hoped? Jesus hoped he would. But he said, no, the guy said, my money is more important to me than following after you. Jesus understood this principle, that money reveals our spiritual life. Our use of an attachment to money says a lot about us. Well, today what we want to do in this theme of this is what I want to do is we're going to, we're not going to look at um what we give, because in particular, because that varies according to person. Some people have a lot of resources, some people have little resources. So I can't say, I gave $10, you gave $10, and God demands we all give $10. He wouldn't, he wouldn't look at that, because we all have different resources. 
But rather what I want to do is I want to look at why does someone give? Because this is the revealing factor. This is the fact that it reveals our spiritual development. That's what we're all interested in. We're interested in becoming more mature followers of Jesus Christ, right? I think that's why you're here today. I hope you didn't come here because you want to be stuck where you are. You came here because you want to get, become more like Jesus. You want to grow and develop and become um, a more mature person. So my objective today is by showing you different um, motivations for giving, that you will be able to identify where you're at today and hopefully if you see what you see isn't what you like, and maybe it will be, I hope it is, but if what you see in your life isn't what you really don't like that, then you're going to ask God to help you to grow and to advance spiritually to the next level in your life. You're going to say, God, I want to take a step forward because that's my, that's my desire. That's Jesus' desire with dealing with money. He doesn't care about money. He cares about your spiritual life. He just knows that money can help us understand where we're at spiritually and it can help you grow by identifying things about yourself. So what we want to do today, so what I want to do is I want to start at the bottom, at the most basic of motivations for giving to the work of God, talking primarily about giving to God's church, and then take you up to the very highest motivation for giving some of your earnings on a regular basis to God's work in the world. And you've got to look at a kind of a continuum. And I understand in life nothing's linear. I can't just say this is step one, two, three, four, and five. We're going to look at five. But that I don't think we necessarily progress exactly up there. But as a general rule, these are the five ways that we can really see motivations for giving. And they align pretty closely with the spiritual condition of our lives. Okay? So let's start at the very bottom. And we're going to work up to the more mature. Start at the very bottom. The very bottom one is what I want to call motivation for giving. At the bottom is what I want to call self-interest giving, self-interest giving. This is giving money to something because someone has a vested interest in what is being given to. Your dollars help pay the bills and keep the lights on and the doors open. And because you personally want the lights on and the doors open, you write out a check and you give to it. Someone gives because their giving gives them a return. You know, in a church world, it's maybe giving to a local church so that that local church continues the programs and the ministries that benefit you and your family. You love the worship, so you want to give so the worship stays the same. You love the kids' ministries, you want to give so the kids' ministries are there for your family. It's just simple self-interest that motivates this type of giving. It's, you know, if one doesn't give, then what they value will go away. Now, we, lo- we join a lot of stuff in this world because of, self- because of self-interest, Right? Uh, we joined the YMCA. I'm a member of the YMCA. I write a check out every month at the YMCA. Uh, she comes out automatically. So I can go to a place where they can torture me. You know, my legs are killing me today because of a new class I started called Kettlebells. Don't laugh, guys. It will kill you, too, if you did it. I challenge any of you to join me for Kettlebells um, with this weight. And, oh, my goodness. You can't cheat because when you've got to pick this weight up and down, you have to go all the way down to the ground to pick it up. You can't cheat. It kills your thighs. So anyways, we do this all the time. We give to certain things because we want that thing. I give to the why because I want the why to exist. It's, I support it for self-interest. You know, we join softball leagues or we go to golf courses. You know, we go to, if we're in a, in a softball league, we pay for umpires and, and for balls and for renting fields. We pay dues to clubs and organizations. Why? Because we keep paying because we want to pay back. We want that thing to function. I want the YMCA to keep torturing me. You know, and so I, I pay to it. I want you to hear something today. And this is going to maybe blow some of your minds. The Bible knows nothing of this approach to giving 
to God's work. Nothing. Nowhere in the scriptures. You can read your Bible from cover to cover and never find self-interest as a motivation for giving to the work of the church. It might be fine for the YMCA, and I think it is. But it's not a biblical motivation for giving to the work of God. You don't find it anywhere in Scripture. That bottom level is not even a biblical reason. Now, I was raised in a church where that was how we were taught. They took the amount of people, they took the expenses, they divided it equally, and they sent you basically dues. You paid your dues every year. A lot of you were in the same boat. You paid dues every year. That's self-interest giving. I don't see it anywhere in the Bible. The Bible starts giving, reasons for giving, at the next level of five levels. It doesn't even talk about this bottom one because it says that's not why you'd ever give to the work of God. It starts in the next one up. And that's what I want to look at now. It's not self-interest giving. The Bible starts at the next level up. And so what I want to call it this. Giving for the reason of spiritual gratitude. Giving for, out of heart of spiritual gratitude. And the Bible does talk about this as the bottom level of giving. Psalm 116.12, the psalmist says something um, just out of his heart. He says this, What shall I render to the Lord for all the benefits towards me? In other words, what shall I give for what God has done in my life? And you know what? The psalmist is saying, you know, you've, God, you've done so much for me. What can I possibly do for you? And we see this in Scripture as a starting point for giving to God's work. It's in response to the provision that he has given us of his son Jesus Christ for the payment of our sins so that we can be born again, become children of God, and have our lives transformed. It's having an attitude of gratitude for your salvation from the bondage that you used to have to sin. It's an outflow of, 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 of that gratitude you have. is saying, I want to do something tangibly back to God. Now, let me ask you some questions, and you know the answers to this. Could you ever repay God for what he's done for you? Are we even giving ever to try to repay God for what he's done for us? No. No, you're not, you can't repay God. God doesn't ask you to repay him. But the psalmist was talking about something in his heart. He said, I'm so full of gratitude, I just want to do something I want to give. You know, one just gives in this, in this self-spiritual gratitude, gives from a heart that is overflowing with gratitude for what God has done for them. And they say, I want to do something. And I want you to think about this for a second. Have you sat down recently and thought about what God has done for humanity or particularly for you? I know, you know, here's one of the things the devil wants in your life. He wants to keep you so busy that you never really sit and think. That's what he wants for you. He wants you to be so consumed with running your kids here and taking them there and working here and going there. And, 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 and we think, oh, I'll be, have more fun if I engage in that activity. And he wants you so busy that you never sit down and think. I want to challenge you today. Have you sat down? Maybe this afternoon you could do this. Sat down recently and thought about what God has really done for you, and what he's done for humanity, so that you're part of humanity, an extension of it. Think about it. When man rejected God in the Garden of Eden, he could have just destroyed mankind and left mankind to their own demise. As a creator, he could have just said, you know what, I'm going to start over from scratch. The way a person who's got a potter's wheel can be working on that potter's wheel and say, this pot is imperfect, smash it down into a new lump and start again. But God didn't do that. God didn't just start over. God took that imperfect, sinful man and woman, and he said, you know what? There's only one way to restore this broken thing. 
One way to save this thing from the punishment that it deserves for sinning against a perfect and holy God is, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have my son Jesus take the punishment that you deserve upon himself. And if you turn to him, to Jesus, and you seek forgiveness from him, and you surrender your life to him, that what he'll do is, and you turn away from your other life, he will forgive you, he'll receive you, he'll make you a child of God. He'll save you from destructions. Friends, God did that for you and me. And that makes my heart overflow with gratitude. You know, this realization takes someone beyond the I suppose I just need to pay my dues to keep the lights on mentality. When you understand Christ on the cross, you bump up immediately to the next level and your giving becomes motivated by gratitude. And I would think that in this room today, that defines some of you. You listen, you go, that's me, Pastor. That's why I give. I give out of a heart of gratitude. I'm just so happy for the transformation that's taken place in my life. It's wonderful. And so I give. It's probably some of us in here today. That's the, on the continuum. That's the second reason. It means you're stepping up in maturity. You're growing. But you know what? That's a step up, but there's other steps we can take further, other steps we can take higher. And I want to look at the next one. The next, the next one up today, even a higher motivation, which, which correlates with higher maturity, and it's this. Third reason, spiritual obedience. Spiritual obedience. On this level, the Christ follower gets a bit more specific in his life. He's a little more mature, not so much just functioning by emotion and, and love and, and gratitude rather and saying, I'm just happy and God's changed my life. Becoming more mature and trying to look at how's my life supposed to function. And here this person says, you know what? I have a grateful heart, but now God, I want you, God, through your word primarily, that's how God speaks to us primarily, through his Bible. I want you to tell me what I'm supposed to do in this area of my life, in this area of giving. And God, whatever it is, I'll do it. Because I just want to be obedient to you. Mature Christians have this spirit that to give whatever the master asks of them. Right? I think this is the kind of attitude that the Apostle Peter had. Do you remember a story in the Bible that's found in, in Matthew chapter 14 where the disciples are in a boat and they're going across a lake. They get out in the middle of the sea and what, remember what they saw when they're out in the middle of the, ocean, in the, middle of the sea? They saw somebody. They saw Jesus walking down the water. Do you remember who, what they thought he was? A ghost. They thought he... So don't laugh at your kids when they say, I think there's a ghost in my room. You know, the disciples who walked with Jesus thought Jesus was a ghost walking across the water. You know? and, um, and they see him walking across the water and, and they think he's a ghost. But once Jesus identifies himself and says, Hey guys, it's me. Peter says one of the most outlandish things in all of the pages of Scripture. He goes, Jesus, if that's you really you, tell me, command me. To come to you, and I'll walk to you on the water. Remember what Jesus said? He said, hey, Peter, get out of the boat and come walk to me. So Peter steps out of the boat. Dumbest thing he could ever do. Perfectly good boat, right? Step on the, get out of the water. But what happens? He starts to walk. It wasn't the dumbest thing he could ever do. It was the smartest thing he could ever do. He said, God, you told me to do it. I, I'm going to do it. And, and Jesus, and he begins to walk across the water for a little while. And you know what? What's funny is Peter gets a bad rap about this. Because he says, yeah, but Peter began to sink because he got afraid. It says he looked at the wind, he looked at the waves, and he got afraid and he began to sink. And Jesus had to reach down and, and pick him up. Friend, don't give Peter a bad rap for walking in obedience. Not one of us has ever walked on water. Right? You've never walked on water. Peter walked on water. 
Because he listened to what Jesus had to say. Um, the, one of the coolest miracles ever. After that, he'd be like, hey, I walked on water. You didn't. You sunk. Big deal. I walked on water. You know, you're a bunch of losers. I walked on water. Only people, me and Jesus, walked on water. Nobody else. You know, I bet, and I, I, I guarantee you Peter said it at some point. You know he did. You know Peter's attitude from Scripture. He did that at some point. You know, he walked on water. Friend, that's the type of attitude I'm talking about at this level, this, this third level up, this attitude. It's just, it's the Lord, if you command me, I'll obey. I'm maturing. I'm beyond just some emotion. I want to do what's right. I'm becoming a student of your word. I want to begin to read and understand the Bible. And when your Bible tells me to do something, God, I want to obey you. I want to do it. So here's the question that rises in our mind then. What does the Bible instruct us to give? So that the person at this level can say, I'll just do it. There's really two things. If you take all the scripture, scriptural teachings and boil them down, you kind of can boil down to two different things or ways the Lord tells us to give. And I want to look at those really quickly. First one is this. Grab your Bible and open to the book of Malachi. If you're new to the faith, new to Christianity, um, you never read your Bible, the New Testament starts with Matthew. You can find that, right? Just turn to the front of the book a couple pages. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. The last book. It's a minor prophet and... Uh, He's got something, it's probably the most specific, clear instructions about giving in all the Bible to say when, when an obedience person can just say, God, tell me what to do, it says it really clearly here what to do. So Malachi chapter 3, we're just going to read a couple of verses, starting in verse 10, verses 10 to 12. God instructing his church people what to do. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse here, you could say, it's, he's talking about the temple there. Our name for the temple is the church. So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house, in other words, provision in my house, in the church, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. He said, if you do this, I'm going to bless you. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor, nor your vine on the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. What's he say here? God says, take a 10% slice of your earnings. The Bible calls it, in other places, it calls it first fruit. In other words, the first thing you do. Take a 10% slice of your earnings and bring it to your church and give it as unto the Lord for the work of the Lord to do the provision, the ministry that God has called the local church to do. He says in other places in the scripture about the tithe, give it joyfully, give it out of a heart filled with gratitude for the cross consistently and obediently. Now, m- many of us in this room are at this place. We are okay, I'll do it kind of lives. Okay, I'll do it tithers. And I'll be honest with you, that's how this church is being built, and that's how this church is being sustained. That's how all churches are built and how they're all sustained, is by those people who say, I just want to walk in obedience. God told me to do it. I'm going to do it. And the fact is that if you have done that, your lives prove that Malachi is true, that God has blessed you because of it. Your lives, I could tell story after story of person after person in this place who said, I chose to be an obedient tither, and because of that, what Malachi says is true. God blessed me. He opened up the windows of heaven. My, a lot of times my income increased, or as he says here, the things that could de- devour you don't devour me in the same way anymore, and God has given me a blessing in my life because I've walked in obedience. 
Remember, God's just trying to say to you, I want you to trust me. He's not caring about the money. He cares about your heart. He's trying to say, if I get your money, I got your heart. So I want to bless you for this to prove to you, you can put me first in your life. That's why he calls it first fruits. He doesn't say, a tip is what you give at the end. A tithe is what you give up front. A tip says, I got a little extra at the end. A tithe says, I give you up front the first thing. And so the question is, are you um, obeying God in this way? Being a, a walk, you want to w- mature up in your walk with God. Money's a revealer. And so one of the ways to see your maturity is, are you an obedient, I'll just obey God in what he says kind of person? And if you say no, here's a question for yourself, not for me. Well, here's your question. Why not? Is it because you can't trust God? And ask yourself this question. If you can trust God with your soul, which is eternal, do you really think you can't trust God with your money, which is temporal? He can take care of people who put him first. He does. It's Bible and life is full of examples. If, if so, if you're not, why not? And when are you going to start? When do you want to step up a notch? Because God has something more for you and better for you as you walk in obedience. So the first kind of giving that he says, the, the person who's saying, I just want to be an obedient giver, is they say, I give the tithe. But that's not where the Bible stops. For some of you, the tithe is this huge issue. But a lot of you, you've been tithing for years, and you go, yeah, it's not that big of an issue anymore. I've learned to do it forever, and God's blessed me for it. But then there's another level of giving that God shows in Scripture, repeatedly through Scripture. And you can summarize it in this, in this term called the free will offering. The tithe, he says, you pay your tithe, you do it. Free will offering is something you do as you feel led by the Lord. The tithe isn't something you do as you feel led by the Lord. He just says, do it. The free will offering, though, is where he asks you to give above and beyond that tithe. This goes above the tithe. Once you, have, once you have obeyed God and paying your tithe, he often will directly, by the Holy Spirit, he's the one who directs you, to give more to some other area or ministry of need. Maybe it's for hurting and homeless people. Maybe it's for world missions. You're giving above and beyond. You know, Suzanne and I, every single year, ask God to guide us in where he wants us to give above and beyond our tithe. And we generally do this through various missions giving. We give most of our missions giving through our local church, but we try to increase our number as God leads us to do. And I want to tell you something, church. This is what I found over all the years. You can't outgive God. He loves to bless his kids. He enjoys it. He wants to do it. The one who's handcuffing God from pouring out his blessings is us if we don't walk in obedience. Because he says, I, I got to get your heart. And he's trying to say, if you give me your heart, you give me your money, you're showing me you give me your heart. And he wants to bless his children. He wants to do it. You can't outgive God. You know, and I believe that God often speaks to us to give above and beyond our tithe. Sometimes he asks for us to do something really big, something that will really cost you, and it's going to, but this, why? Because he wants to stretch your faith. He wants to tr- stretch your trust in him to prove himself to you. Friends, when God does this, I just say this, just obey him. He will resupply you, but more importantly, in the process of your growth, you will take a step forward. That's obedience giving. Now, that's the third level. Let's just be obedient. The Bible says obey. How does it tell? What should you do? We give tithes. We give free will offerings. But then I don't want to stop at number three, do you? I want to go higher. I want to mature more. So what's the next level? Number four. We call it this. Spiritual vision. The next motivation for giving beyond just obedience. And I'd say a lot of people stop in their life. If they hit obedience, they think they've hit the, the summit. I'm telling you, there's, there's things that are higher. The next motivation will be spiritual vision. People go to this level are already giving out of a grace-filled heart. They're obediently giving the full tithe and free will offerings as the Holy Spirit is ministering in their lives. But they've matured to a point where they look at the world a little bit differently than the average Christ follower. 
This person reaches a point where he's realized that this world is a train wreck and nobody knows how to fix it. And this person knows that the only hope for this messed up world is the transforming work of Jesus Christ. And when this person is seized by this vision that the only thing that can fix the world, fix their family, fix their neighborhood, fix the the whole world, when they're seized by this vision... It changes the way this person views his resources and talents and the remaining time they have left on earth. And they say something like this. They start saying, I've got to do something strategic with the time and the resources that I've got left. You know, it's just the opposite of the of mentality that seeped into our culture that says, now I can sit back and enjoy my golden years and accomplish nothing mentality that I think has robbed so many Good, good godly people of being used by God greatly in their lives. He wants to show them a vision that's so much more important. At this level, the person says, I want to give as much as possible to something that will outlast me, to something that will really make a difference in this world by bringing people into the life-changing knowledge of Jesus Christ. When I think of this level, I think of two couples that Suzanne and the boys and I met. When we were missionaries in Cambodia, one time, um, I think, all, and all four of us were going, we were on these boats, homemade boats, taking a two-hour boat ride through this incredible lake called Tanle Sap. It's in the middle of nowhere, and it's floating villages, things you see on National Geographic, floating villages. You know, they go from place to place on little boats, handmade boats. And we're on this boat, and we're going across the Tanle Sap, and it's a big boat, but we're going to go a two-hour thing out into a floating village where our missions organization was, had, had a bunch of schools that we ran. You believe in education? This place is awesome for education. Four schools we had purchased on floating villages. They have stakes in the ground because as the water would go up, these schools would float away. And then every year they had to bring them back to where their spot was on the lake. And so we went there. It's like literally a heat index of 120 plus. I learned there, first time I learned, you always wear this thing called cremaze. It's like a big handkerchief. You take a chunk of ice, put it in your cremaze, spin it around, and tie it to your neck. So you had a big block of ice in the back of your neck because you literally could not endure the, the heat, and there's no electricity. We're in the middle of nowhere. We're, we're going through malaria-filled lakes, you know, where Suzanne gets dengue fever from getting bit by a dengue-infected mosquito, you know, almost killed her. And, uh, we're, you know, we're going out in this place. No reasonable person goes out there. You know, they live there because they don't have any choice. We lived there by, we went by choice, and we're going across the lake, and we're on this boat, and we're always used to being the only white people. And we look in the boat, and there's two couples on the boat. I remember the name of the one. It was Larson because they were the same last name as us. And so we're like talking to them, and they're from America. We start talking to them. What are you doing here? And they start telling us their story. Now, they didn't, we didn't know the full extent of their story until we later went to meet them in Seattle, Washington, sometime later. But they were wealthy, two wealthy couples, raised their families, done their businesses, both self-made men, self-made women, And they were rock-solid believers, and they had committed the remaining years of their life to two things. There was a ministry called Kids Quest. That's an outreach ministry, evangelistic outreach ministry. And they were frustrated. They're part of the Assemblies of God. They were frustrated because they didn't think anybody cared about this great ministry. And they thought it could be used around the world to um, reach kids for Christ. So they had committed their lives, all their own resources, to traveling the world to go to places and try to convince people to start Kids Quest ministry in the, all the different countries of the world. So they'd meet with missionaries. So, that was the, so their, their goal was to invest in something they thought was strategically could change the world. And the second thing they did is they went to minister to missionaries. 
Matter of fact, they were the first people who looked at us, talked to Suzanne and said, we believe you need to leave Cambodia. We're sitting on a boat with a couple of strangers and we're crying talking to these two couples who spent their entire lives going to meet total strangers. They didn't know we were going to be on that boat, but that was part of their job. They traveled, not their job, they didn't get paid for it, their mission. They went to the world trying to minister to hurting missionaries, missionaries that were maybe should not be where they are, needed to make a change, and, um, and so they talked to us and actually were a key player in, get, in, in convincing us that we should resign our missions appointment. So anyways, um, these people were filthy rich. So in Seattle one time, we're in Seattle, we have no idea. I get a phone call, and it's so-and-so Larson. And I'm like, what relative is this? I have no idea. I didn't even know he lived in Seattle. We were staying in Seattle for six weeks. And he's like, we met, you know, on a boat in Conley Sap. And I'm like, oh, okay. I said, how do you have my number? He said, we heard you're in Seattle. Like, how in the world do you know that? Well, we, we were concerned about you. And they said, oh, we live in Seattle. I said, would you come to our house? Yeah, didn't really know much about them. Get there, and these people aren't just don't have money. They have money. The guy who is the less rich of the two, we went to his house. You know what he collected? And I think I've told this before at one time. You know what he collected? You know, some people collect figurines. You're really rich, you might collect some nice cars. You know what he collected? Suits of armor from all around the world. You go in his house, it's like, this is a 13-whatever suit of armor from Germany. I'm like, kids, you put your staking hands in your pockets. Don't you touch a thing. That suit of armor is worth more than I'll make in my entire life. You know, and it's like, oh, and here's this, and they think this is tied to some king back there. He's got suits of armor in his house. And he's the poor guy. The one guy was owned a bunch of industries. He was worth over a billion dollars. The other guy was worth hundreds of millions and the thing that amazed me about them, their kids thought they were crazy. They had all the money in the world. And they're literally putting their lives and health on the line to travel the world to do something they believe could change nations. Number one, make sure missionaries were healthy. Number two, um, get this Kids Quest ministry up and going around the world, financing it. And it's kind of funny because we we're talking about just missions thing. He pulls out his phone and, and the head of all, you know, the Assemblies of God is a little organization we're part of here. It's only got 58 million members worldwide. That was a joke. 58 million. It's the world's largest Protestant denomination on the planet. And he pulls out the head as a guy named George Wood. He pulls out and says, want me to call George? <laughs> He's got George's cell number in his cell phone. I'm like, what? He goes, they do whatever I tell them to do. Because <laughs> he, he gave so much money. And these guys, you know, they had given their life. They still lived in a nice house. He still collected suits of armor. But they gave their life, their money, and most importantly, because money meant nothing to them. They gave their life energy to saying, this world is totally messed up, and I, we need to do something about it. Friends, when it comes to this level of love, and uh, this level of maturity, rather, you do things that others just don't understand. You give up security. You give up financial benefit to accomplish a vision. You give great resources to organizations and to programs that will accomplish life-changing ministry. You invest into eternity. And friends, I hope that some of us are becoming motivated to move up to this level. And if so, I just say this. Give yourself and your resources to what's really of greatest value in your life. But you know what? There's one step higher. 
Some of you could say, well, yeah, that one, that you've got to be rich. That's not true. You don't have to be rich to do number four at all. Um, you don't have, it's not, not ever tied to resources. It's tied to giving yourself away to something more important. They didn't have to give their, their money. They gave their lives to do it. And it could be as simple as doing that in your local community, giving yourself ministry, greatly investing in your local church with, with resources and your life energy. But there's another level that I think supersedes all of them is the highest reason that people would give greatly to the work of God. And I want you to look at two short stories in the, in the New Testament. We're going to look at them real quick. Turn your Bible to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 7. Starting in verse 36 of Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read one, this story. I'm going to jump right to another story. Now, one, and then I comment on him. One of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. So him is Jesus. Well, Pharisee, the religious leader, is asking Jesus to have dinner with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclining at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. So that's a little stone perfume bottle. And standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair and kissing his feet and anointing them with, her, with the perfume. Now let's flip over to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 41. It says this, and it's talking about Jesus again. He is Jesus. And he sat down opposite the treasury the treasury that was in the church, in the temple, and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury, and many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amounted to one cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributions to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, But she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. These two stories reveal the highest level of giving motivation, and it's this word, love. L-O-V-E. Luke records the story of a a converted prostitute. Matter of fact, it still calls her a sinner. We pretty much can assume she's converted, but we probably believe she's still being a prostitute. So a converted prostitute, not meaning she's not being a prostitute anymore. We don't really know. But it seems like she might, might well have been. Tells the story of this converted, means she's come to know Jesus as Savior. Converted prostitute who pours out upon Jesus' feet this very costly, expensive perfume. She did it for one reason. She loved Jesus. She didn't give him 10% of it. She could have just opened it up and said, I'm going to put 10% on your feet. You know, and she wiped it with her hair and her tears. Her hair would be replenished and her tears would be replenished, but the perfume wouldn't be. So she could have said, well, I can, my hair will grow back and, my, and, my, and I can wash my hair and my tears will come back, but I'm just going to put a little bit of this. She didn't, she didn't put 10% or simply add an offering on the top of her tithe. She gave beyond spiritual vision to see the kingdom of God advanced. In love, she gave all she had. And that's exactly what the story is trying to communicate. Because I understand what it says about her. 
we find out from the scriptures and other stories about her that she is a prostitute. And we know this about prostitutes. A prostitute is only a prostitute for one reason. Survival. No one wakes up one day and says, you know what, I think the way I want to make my living is to sell my body to people I don't know. It just doesn't happen. Back then and today, those who live this way do this for a reason. They're just trying to survive. And this woman was poor, and that perfume would have been everything that she owned. And what we see from the story is she held none of it back. And there's a reason. Love made her do it. She loved Jesus, and she said, I give you my all. The other story is very similar. Not, with a, not dealing with a prostitute, but the motivation is very similar. The other story, we see a poor widow. And, I, and guys, I think there's something to note here. It's a lady, prostitute, and it's a poor widow lady. I think we need to man up a little bit at times. I wish the story was about a couple of men, but it was about a couple of women. This poor widow lady, it says, while other people gave from their surplus, she gave from her poverty. She held nothing back. With a heart of love, she offers to God everything. Now we've got to understand from this story, we can surely read between the lines, said to be true. she was a woman who walked with God. She knew God. He had obviously provided for her in the past, and she had to know in her heart he would provide for her again. She, I believe she knew that. But people must have sat around to her and said, listen, lady, you are crazy. What in the world are you doing? Giving the last two little coins you have. And she'd say one thing. Love made me do it. God's my everything. Giving out of love holds nothing back. That's the heart here. That's why it's number one. It doesn't measure out. It just says everything is God's. When we really begin to mature in our faith, love makes us do some crazy stuff. Others won't understand, but you won't care because love will compel you to do it. Friends, this is what motivated God to send Jesus. That's what the scriptures teach us. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. Love made him give. And I hope that each of us, as we mature, we come to the place where we so dearly love God that we give all to him all of our finances, all of our time, all of our abilities. All to him just for his use. Now, does that mean he's going to tell you to do what he said to the rich young ruler, sell it all? I think most of the time not. I think he's going to have you keep it so you can use, use your, your abundance to perpetuate his kingdom. But it's all his. We recognize, I don't say, what am I going to do with what I have? You don't, you don't wake up and go, what am I going to do with my day today? Matter of fact, the book of James says that's a sin. It says to think you're going to say, I'm going to go to this town and make a profit and do this for a couple of years. He goes, that's wrong. He says, what should you say? Remember what the book of James says? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, I'll do this. If the Lord wills, I'll do that. A person who really is in love with the Lord just every day says, God, today's your... No, you know what? Most days you still got to get up and go to work. Because he's going to say, I want you to go to work. But remember, work's not a four-letter word. He gave you a job. But every day you're saying, God, everything I have, my finances, my time, my abilities, my ability to make a living, my ability to serve. Yesterday we had so many people expressing their abilities in this place. 
painting and, and, and doing electronics and, and all kinds of carpentry, carpet cleaning, all different stuff. Using their abilities for the glory of the Lord. Instead of just spending those same abilities on something else that has very little or no eternal purpose behind it. That's what love compels us to do. All to him, just for his use. We realize it's all his and we hold nothing back. And if we get there, there will never be a day, this is what I believe, if we as in, in, in mass start to get there, there will never be a day in this community, this little section that we live here of the world, where there will be a need that will not be met. Because God will use us to meet the need. We will be his hands and his feet extended. Because God has placed us here on purpose to be his light shining in the darkness. And he wants to flow through us, but for that to happen, we say, as a song says, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. That's what love is all about. And God will use us to meet every need and reveal his love through us. And the world around will say, you know why they did that? Love made them do it. I think that's God's plan for us. Wouldn't you agree? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to close in prayer. A lot of people would say money, finances, and spiritual. I can't think it could be any more spiritual than this issue right here. I think it reveals so much about us. Remember, if you're interested in water baptism, meet meet me in room 10 after church. We'll talk about it. Let's pray together. Our dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for loving us. Thank you that, God, you could have, when when mankind rejected your way, you could have crushed us like bugs and started over or just gave up. But you didn't do that. Instead, you said, I love humankind so much that I am going to pay the ultimate price to see them come to know me. Because I love so much, I'm going to give everything. And God, you gave yourself, the Son of God, to die in our place. Love made you do it. The angels could have stood around and said, are you crazy, God? You don't have to do that. You would have said, love made me do it. That's that's exactly what you say in your word. For you love the world, so you gave. God, we know that you are the example that we always are aiming at. And we don't just aim and try to become something different by self-effort, because we know that fails. But rather, God, we say this. We open up our lives right now to you, and we, we yield to you. We say, God, whatever you want in me, that's what I want. Matter of fact, as our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed, would you be so bold as just to kind of take your hands right now and in front of you just open them up, palms up, facing towards heaven, a sense of yieldedness? No one's looking at you. Say, Jesus, you know where I'm at. You know what you have for me. And I yield to you today. 
I want to advance, God. I want not to earn anything, because I can't earn your favor, but I want to experience you more. I want the joy of this love relationship with you to blossom. So I yield to you today. And I say, God, lead me forward. Take me on. Help me to grow and mature. Help me to go up to the next notch, the next level. God, thank you that you revealed in my heart today some things about myself. Some I like and some I'd like to see get better. And God, I thank you that you wrap your arms around us and you carry us forward. So right now we yield to you. We say, Jesus, it's all, we're all for you, wide open for you today. Help us to grow and to mature. Now, as we're in an attitude of worship this morning, again, a private moment. You're here in this place. I don't believe it's a coincidence for one second that you're here in our church this morning. Maybe you've been here many times. Maybe it's your first time in the building. But as we've been talking about yielding to God today, we've been talking about advancing, maybe you've come to a conclusion that in your life, you maybe know all about religion, but you're not really in a real relationship with, with the Lord Jesus Christ. You're recognizing today that He really loves you. He has great things in store for you, but, you, but He wants you to walk with Him. Well, if that's you today, and you're saying, you know, Pastor Mark, I want to take a step forward with Jesus. I want to, I want to really give my life to Him and, and have Him receive me. And I, and I want to become brand new. i got junk I need forgiven. And, and I just want to be, I want to start on a brand new life with Christ from this day forward. If that's you today, the only reason you would feel that is because the Holy Spirit of God is making you feel that way. Because the Bible says no one comes to the to the Son unless the Father pulls him, draws him by the Holy Spirit. The only reason you have that sense inside of you is because God is prompting that inside of your heart. And so if that's you today, and you want to take a step forward with Jesus, you want to give your life to Christ and start a brand new life with Him, I want to help you take that step today. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I just say to do this. Between you, me, and God, if you say, Pastor Mark, I'm ready to take that step today, I want you to slip up your hand, raise it up high. When I see your hand, I'm going to ask you to put it back down. Just between us, I want to pray with you. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. You say, I want to receive Christ in my life today. So right now, just slip it up in the air. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But Jesus, I thank you so much for the good work that you're doing in this awesome church family. Thank you, God, that we have hearts as a whole, hearts to say we want to advance, we want to get better, we want to be used, we want to mature. God, that's why we're here. Otherwise, we'd be out doing something else today. But we're here today because we want all of you. We want you to have all of us. And I pray now, God, that your blessings, your goodness would rest upon this wonderful church family. That your anointing, your blessings would walk with us through the week in such a powerful way that, God, we'd be aware of your nearness. And we so willingly yield to you so that greatness can come through our lives. So let your blessings now rest upon us for your glory in Jesus' name.